last week I spoke about the the path, the Eightfold Path, which has eight different components, um, right understanding, right aspiration, right uh, speech, right livelihood, right action, um, and then right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. And these were eight pieces that the Buddha pointed at over and over again. He talked about over and over again that were um, key components for how to live a life of freedom, how to live a life of awakening. <clears throat> and uh, so I thought I would talk continue the talk about that, continue to, to explore that, all of us together, um, by talking about right understanding, the first of the, of the limbs of the path. And uh, right, sometimes it's called right view, sometimes right understanding. I like the term understanding very much. And so I like language, so I looked up the word understand, what that means, understand, and it has beautiful dharma components. To understand means to appreciate, or to comprehend, or to know, or to fathom, which is not a word we use a lot, but I like that word also, fathom, because it has a little bit about the depth of what's being pointed at. So to understand means to fathom or to recognize or to know or to realize. And also if, if as I looked at both understand and understanding, um, understanding means to be empathic or considerate or thoughtful or kind. And so all of these are woven into the first truth, the first noble truth. Then not, excuse me, the first path factor of right understanding. <clears throat> and, and you can think about what, what it means for you when you understand something. What, what happens when one understands something, when you get something? Because that's how I think of it. It's like, oh, I get it. And the getting it is not just cognitive. It may have its cognitive component of, oh, I understand A equals B. But then there's another component of the understanding, which is, oh, A is B starts to happen. And so it's, the understanding is not just conceptual, but it starts to be experiential. And the word that was used when I was a kid was you, you would grok it. And I don't think that's really an English word, but how many people know the word grok, right? It was, it was from some novel or some character. Stranger in a Strange Land. Pardon? Stranger in a Strange, Stranger land. In a strange land, which is, of course, a great title for what it is to be a human being in general. Like, <laughs> We're all kind of strangers in this strange land of being humans together. And, uh, and, and when, you un when you really get something, you, you would grok it, you would know it on multiple levels of reality. It would be a, uh, and not just a, oh, I get it. Although the getting it was, it was both mental and emotional and, and also somatic, kinesthetic, the getting of it. <clears throat> And so, and also in that getting of it, in the understanding of it, there's some, something relaxes in our hearts and minds and bodies too when we get something, when we understand in this way that's being pointed at in the first path factor of right understanding. And it's talked about differently by different teachers and I like the differences. It's not like I contrast the differences because one is right and one is wrong. It's because I like, oh, one is right and the other one is right also even though it's different. And that's more how the Dharma, at least in my understanding, comes alive in a real way for us as human beings. <clears throat> And so, for example, Suzuki Roshi, who I think is one of the great Dharma masters who's been in this country, lived in this country 
for a number of years and taught and started Zen Center here in San Francisco. And he said, when you try to understand everything, you will not understand anything. When you try to understand everything, you will not understand anything. The best way is to understand yourself and then you will understand everything. So I, you know, I feel like, oh, we could, I could just continue and give a whole Dharma talk from there, right? Because he's pointing at the whole Dharmic reality is sitting right here. And this is where the temple is. It's, you know, it may be the Unitarian temple today, or it may be the Spirit Rock temple that we find ourselves in, but actually the whole temple is sitting right here. And is oh, that's really good, thank you. Somebody pointed out that it says here, the kingdom of God is within you, which is the same understanding that, that Suzuki Roshi is pointing at, because he was a Christian Buddhist and he knew about this that the kingdom of God is within you. And, uh, and I, I just find that so beautiful, such a beautiful understanding, because then it encourages us to start to understand, oh, what's happening right here? What, what, what is this experience of being human? And not only what is this experience of being human, but how do we understand it? And how do we understand it in an ongoing way so that the understanding is not a fixated understanding. It's not a reified understanding. It's not a concretized understanding. It's a living, alive understanding that keeps expanding or deepening or clarifying because things keep changing. And even what it is to be a human being is not a static experience. <clears throat> and then I was looking at it, and I've been away, I was away visiting my daughter and actually having a lovely time visiting her, um, and, and was trying to find somebody else to teach tonight because I would have stayed and hung out with my daughter a little more, but I couldn't find anybody to substitute, so I came back. And, and, uh, but I didn't have a lot of time to prepare for the talk. And, um, and, I didn't, and of course, I forgot that I have a whole um, folder of talks I've given on right understanding here. And so I started to look at the material I had even though I outlined something for myself while I was away today and on the plane coming home. And, um, and I found something from Bhikkhu Bodhi and his, um, his way of talking about it is he looks at oh, what are the factors that are important in each part of the Eightfold Noble Path, right? And so what, 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 he, what he talks about in right, right view, right understanding, is understanding suffering. Understanding suffering. Understanding the cause of suffering. Understanding the end of suffering. And understanding the way that leads to the end of suffering. And so he totally weaves in the four truths of suffering, cause of suffering, end of suffering, path that leads to the end of suffering, into right view. So that's the ground of right view for him, which is very different than what Suzuki Roshi has to say. <clears throat> and so think for yourself or consider, reflect for yourself, um, What's it like when you understand? And what's it like when you don't understand? What's that experience like? What's your, what's your um, dukkha like? And for new people, the word dukkha is the Buddhist word that's generally translated as suffering. And it's a, it's a broader term, so I like to use the word dukkha. It's broader than how we usually think of it in English. So, 
part of what the Buddha pointed at was how important our own understanding is as part of the Dharma. That it's not just, and he said this many times in many ways, it's not just, oh, here's, here's what I'm teaching and you should believe it and that's the end of the story and then you'll be free and then everything will be fine. And, you know, he said it over and over again, you know, don't believe it because teachers said it, don't believe it because great people said it, don't believe it because uh, it comes from a lineage or because it's ancient. He always says, oh, in, in my language, check it out for yourself. See for yourself what's true, what's real, what do you understand, and what don't you understand. And he would even say that about what he was teaching. And so here's one of the ways he put it. He said, this committed life, meaning a life of dharma, of practice, this committed life is lived for the sake of seeing into things and understanding them. That that's, that's really what we're doing here. That's what mindfulness is about. That's what heartfulness is about. That's what practice is about is beginning to investigate reality very closely, investigate our own experience, and investigate the experience of others also, and see, oh, what's true? What's real? What's really happening here? And, and to start to relax with those experiences on every level, or start to trust our understanding at whatever level we understand things and then see what happens if the understanding isn't set in stone at the same time. And so again, what you're hearing here is one of the pieces that I like to always talk about, which is the paradox of practice, which is not, it's not a fixed thing. And so we want to see what do we understand and what don't we understand. And we're not looking for the don't, what we don't understand to judge ourselves or berate ourselves or think, you know, we're not good. That's not the point. The point is to just see, oh, what's true? What's the Dharma? How does, how does this human life that's embodied or related to this human livingness that has to do with we each are kind of sitting in our own bodies here, then what's, what's real here? And what happens as I understand this experience more and more? And what happens as I start to understand the dukkha that is part of human life? <clears throat> and so understanding becomes an important part of our practice, of our life, of the Dharma, of waking up. And Thich Nhat Hanh says, he said, the lack of understanding, the lack of understanding is the basis for every internal knot, K-N-O-W. The lack of understanding is the basis for every internal knot or internal contraction. And I think that's a very helpful um, understanding that he's offering us to start to look, oh, where does our heart and mind and body get knotted up? Where do we get tight? Where do we get contracted? Where do we start to get, where, what's, where's the dukkha? Where's the suffering in our body, heart and mind? and then start to understand it. Why is the suffering there? What's the cause of the suffering? What brings freedom from suffering? And what are the skillful means needed to both understand, to see clearly, and to relax or let go, and to be free? And, you know, we, we have a lot of dukkha, it's part of human life, and a lot of emotional dukkha, and a lot of dukkha that we make up. Yeah, I was trying to, I was thinking a little bit about my day, and one of the things that happened while I was away is I got a message from one of my brothers, and when I heard the message, it didn't sound good, right? I mean, just hearing, 
it basically was a, hi, Eugene, uh, you know, I'm here, I'm, I'm wanting to talk to you, please call me. But it was very serious. It was like, oh, something's wrong. Excuse me. And so I get that something's wrong, but I have no idea what's wrong. But I have my mind telling me, listing, oh, what could be wrong. Right? And then I have my heart and mind reacting to how bad it could be or what is wrong. And this is one of my brothers who's, he's had some, uh, you know, physical dukkha over the last few years, some, some heart problems. So it's like, okay, what's going on with him? Okay, this could be really bad. And, you know, I've heard, you know, this and this and this, and so this could be happening. And then I'm just watching my mind creating dukkha because I have no idea what's actually going on with him or if, or if I'm right, which I could be, you know, that's possible, or if I'm just making stuff up, which is definitely possible. And so, um, so I just waited till I got home today to call him back and called him back and and he told me this story, and it wasn't about him at all. It was about um, a cousin of ours that we'd grown up with, and I knew, and we'd been very, when I grew up, it was, we had a lot of family around, and family was very important to my family, to my parents. Like, that was their world, which is very different than worlds today. Often, people live in worlds where they don't have a lot of family around, or you don't relate to a lot of family, people don't. And so, and so um, this cousin, and he was telling me this cousin had died. And um, he was younger than me, this guy. And, um, and, uh, and it was a very serious death, meaning difficult death. Um, and either he committed suicide or he got killed. It's not clear, right? So. Just that is like totally hard to understand what happened, right? Because it's not clear. And he was, and he was cremated. This all happened a few weeks ago, and we just found out, right? Because his wife, it's not even clear what happened, why she didn't tell people, or what went on. Except I knew this guy, and I knew him when he was an adult, and he was a very difficult. He had a lot of suffering. This guy. And the way his suffering got expressed was he was very obnoxious and aggressive and tough. And, and it was something he'd learned from his dad, who I, who I remember and I knew, and his dad was a tough guy. And so, and I knew this man who died, this cousin who died, and when I heard it, that he got shot, and it wasn't clear if he shot himself, or if somebody killed him. And it all made, it made sense to, I understood it because I knew him as an adult. And I remember seeing him maybe 10 years ago in Detroit where I grew up and I was visiting. And I was surprised at how aggressive he was. And you know, I'm like, you know, I'm visiting in Detroit and I'm like a meditation teacher guy. And you know, and he's like, you know, and he's had some kind of spirituality, but he was not, he was not kind. And it was really interesting to uh, meet him as who he was and also see the dukkha of who he was because his aggression was part of the dukkha or the suffering. It, that was the way his dukkha got expressed. And so I'm saying all of this because I'm just pointing at the kind of ideas we could have. Because remember, I started with my brother calling up and something was wrong, but I had no idea. And I start making things up in our mind. So, and I, because I didn't understand why he sounded so serious on the phone, right? And so part of understanding is getting 
wanting to learn more about the dukkha, which is what I wanted to find out from my brother. If it was about him, I wanted to know that. If it was something else, which I didn't think it was something else at all until I talked to him, then I wanted to know that also. <clears throat> and part of what that means and part of what the Dharma teaches, which is also paradoxical, is getting more comfortable with dukkha, with suffering, with difficulty, that is part of the human experience. And I, I'm relatively confident that you all know about dukkha. You all have some version of dukkha. It's part of the human experience. <clears throat> and so part of what right view seeing, recognizing, right understanding, comprehending, and starting to becoming more empathic with the experience of dukkha is, means we're getting more comfortable with that which is uncomfortable. We're getting a little more relaxed with the totality of the human experience including our reactions and our emotions and our feelings and our psyche in that way. And uh, Spinoza said, he said, the more clearly you understand yourself and your emotions, the more you become a lover of what is. The more clearly you understand yourself and your emotions, the more you become a lover of what is. Now that's a radically deep understanding of what's being pointed at in the Dharma. And by lover, it doesn't mean if you've been, if you've ever been a lover with somebody, you know you don't always love them, even though you keep loving them, even when you don't love them. Like the paradox is right there. The love, you, you become a lover which is bigger than liking. Maybe that's a better way to say it. You don't always like them, but you love them anyways. And of course, I've just, I was just with my daughter, who I totally love, you know, and have loved since even before she was born, really, which is a long time now. And, uh, but I don't always like her. I mean, she's a real person. And, you know, and I'm her dad, so sometimes, you know, I'm of course just the pain in the butt for her. And, uh, but, but it's so interesting to watch the love never stop, right? No matter whether I like what she's doing or don't like what she's doing or who she is or what's up or how she's relating in the morning. She can be very emotional, my daughter, and you know, and it's one of her great strengths. And it's also, uh, sometimes I have to say, oh, she's just having an emotional reaction. It's not really, I don't have to take it too seriously. Of course, we have to edit this out of the tape now before this tape goes anywhere, because I don't want my daughter to hear that. <laughs> uh, so the more clearly you understand yourself and your emotions, the more you become a lover of what is. And so that's why the Dharma, paying attention, being mindful of body, heart, and mind, is such an intimate practice. Because we, get, we become a lover of what's here, even though we may not like what's here. <clears throat> And we start to see how our heart and mind works more clearly and become more intimate with our personal experience and with collective reality, which is one of the great challenges of our time and place because of, maybe because of the internet. But the world is so small now. Have you all noticed that, how small the world is? How quickly the information comes of dukkha anywhere in the world, whether it's our own dukkha right here or it's the dukkha of my, you know, my cousin who got killed or committed suicide, right? 
or, or it's the dukkha of the refugees in Syria where the, the, the fighting won't stop or the dukkha, really I could go to any place in, on the earth and if I, if I had the information in front of me or right, right here, the dukkha in, in Africa or in Iceland or in Europe or wherever it might be, because there's human dukkha and the world's so small we know about it much more intimately. It's not taking days or months or years to come from one place to another to hear about it. Oh, it's happening right now and we can, I guess, I don't tend to watch TV news, so I guess we could see it also, you know, immediately, right? Because they film everything or they have live cameras of it happening everywhere. And so part of our practice is to start to become more heartful, which is another way we could talk about that word lover of what is. We can become more heartful and compassionate with the human, collective human experience that we are all part of, that we all share together. <clears throat> And it's not just an intellectual sharing. It's a somatic, kinesthetic, energetic sharing, you know, which of course includes our minds and our hearts and our bodies. We feel it. We sense it. We, it touches us every which way. <clears throat> So part of the challenge for each of us is to start to be more intimate with our experience and with our collective experience, to start to see oh, what's true, what's true for us, and to watch out for the judging mind, because it'll come many different ways. I, so, and just personally, I was watching my judging mind about even my cousin who died because he was such a aggressive guy. And in some ways, my mind would say, well, he got what he deserved. That would be my totally least kind way of seeing what happened for him because he was so um, not easy to be around. <clears throat> um, but seeing, the, seeing that kind of judging mind allows us not to believe it. We can see it for what it is. It's judgment based on some reaction that I had with him that was, it's, and I don't even have to judge the reaction, but I don't have to be identified with the reaction. It's just a reaction that happened. And, there's, and, and what's here is more than my reactivity. There's more to who and what we are than our judging minds or our reactive minds. And if we can be aware of the judging mind or the reactive mind, we can start to be free of the judgment or the reaction or the ideas that separate us from things we don't like or that aren't pleasant. <clears throat> I'm gonna move to um, one of the skillful means that's helpful for understanding which Sayadaw uh, Utejaniya says, here I'll quote him, he says, as your practice develops, the mind will develop a sense of curiosity, a natural tendency to investigate. 
curiosity is an expression of wisdom. And so really getting interested in what do we understand and what don't we understand brings our curiosity forward, brings our interest forward, and brings our wonder forward as part of the path of the Dharma. E.E. E. Cummings, the poet, said it this way. He said, once we believe in ourselves, we can risk curiosity, wonder, spontaneous delight, or any experience that reveals the human spirit. And so we can start to get curious about what, what do you understand and what don't you understand? about yourselves or what do you understand and what don't you understand about yourself in relation to the Dharma? That's a really great question to be curious about, to wonder about and to start to play with, to think about and to really practice in order to begin to wake up to what the Buddha pointed at and talked about in the Eightfold Path that begins with right understanding or right comprehension. Utejaniya, he also says, if we want to have real understanding, we must practice in real situations. And I love that he says that because he's not saying go off to the monastery or go be somewhere else, or go change, make everything perfect. He said, no, we practice in real situations. That's where real understanding happens in human life. And in the kind of lives we all have, we all have real human lives. You know, the other way to say it is, oh, this is it. This is the deal, right? We're here. Can we wake up in, with this experience? with this human experience. <clears throat> so I think I'm going to stop there for right now. I have more things. Maybe they'll come out as we talk. But any questions, any comments, thoughts about right understanding, please come up to the mic and any reactions, any liking or not liking, any confusion, any understanding or misunderstanding. Yeah, tilt it towards you. Uh, I'm Phil. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say thanks for the talk today. Uh, I have a question in terms of right understanding and how to attain it. Um, I think you might have touched on it a little bit at the end when you said practice in real life. Mm -hmm. Just to give you an analogy, you know, I'm a lawyer, mm -hmm. and we were taught if you want to understand the case, that's how you do it. Mm -hmm. Step A, step B, right. do the case, do some analysis. Is there, maybe you've done in your life, is there some sort of procedures or some sort of steps you can take to gain a right understanding? Sure, great, great question. And, and, and especially given your background, it makes sense because you're, you're saying how, oh, here's how it works in this domain, in this area, and that, that makes sense. And, uh, my answer to you is, um, of course, paradoxical, which is, oh, yes, there is a way, and no, there isn't a way. Both are true. Like, so, so Bhikkhu Bodhi, he lists the factors that bring about right view, right, right understanding, and he says, and he's describing the Four Noble Truths of, you know, see, start to understand suffering, that might be here. Start to understand what causes the suffering or caused the suffering, what causes the end of suffering or the cessation of suffering, and what are the skillful means that allows that to happen. 
So that's one, that's one template you could use for any situation, like when, whether it's internal or external, whether it's communal, you know, ask those questions. Okay, what's the suffering? What caused it? What, what leads to the end of it? And what are the skillful means needed to lead to the end of it? And so that's one template you could use. And that's a totally fine template. And personally, that's not how I think at all. It's just not how I work. I'm just curious, oh, what's happening? So quick follow-up thing. Sure. In the, the steps in the path, the right mm-hmm. understanding refers to understanding one's suffering. Is this what? Well, again, I'm giving you Bhikkhu Bodhi's way of talking about it, and that's a really legitimate, good, classical way to talk about it. Um, but you could also be curious about, oh, uh, understanding happiness and letting that be the, the template that one uses, or understanding freedom. You know, is, is there freedom? What caused the freedom? What stops the freedom? And what are the skillful means that let the freedom arise? One can use, here, here so from my own practice, I trust my heart quite a bit. So where's my heart drawn? That, and so I'll practice using my heart, letting my heart lead. And it can be different things. And when I say heart, really I should say heart-mind. It's the same word in Buddhism, right? Heart-mind. And, and so what I'm saying is I'll use what, what interests me or what turns me on or what moves me and I'll follow that and see what does that bring. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Please. Yeah. describing a lot that goes into what it's taken right now for you to understand what was going on with this situation in your place with your roommate, your roommate's friends, family, and your reactions to it. And what did the understanding bring? Because um. you're describing beautifully uh, both what was happening you know, there in the house, and also the different backgrounds you each 
bring to the situation which is part of what's also there and then your your memory also of what it's been like for you to be the person visiting and doing the wrong thing or not the right thing and so and so where does it leave you um i feel kind of a, a new wisdom So I'm going to stop you right there, because no, no, because I get it. I get some. You do feel a new wisdom. You don't have the word yet for it, and I have my own word. I might put on which I'm not going to, but but really, but but I think that's very important because sometimes we have an experience, and we think if we don't have the word, we don't have the experience. But the experience is already here, and so I just wanted to acknowledge that. I think maybe what it leaves me with uh -huh. is knowing that generosity feels really good. Uh -huh. It feels really good to offer it and it feels really good to receive it. Uh -huh. And I really have the like aspiration to be able to, to have more capacity, I guess, for both. Okay, beautiful. So I'm going to add on here now because you're describing how it's impacted you to to begin to understand all of that and see all of it and be aware of all of that and then the um, and then the appreciation of the generosity and the aspiration you said for that to be even fuller or more complete and of course the, this is why the the um, the limbs of the path are related because the first limb of the path is right understanding and the second is right aspiration because understanding leads to aspiration. So you helped me with the teaching here and I appreciate that. Really lovely. Thank you. And I'll be talking more about aspiration next week. And there was... Please, yeah, I'll, I'll get get over there. Hi. Hi. You can you can move it a little um, bit so it's comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Great. Um, Your name? Heather. Heather. Okay. So this may be more of a semantic question. I'm not sure. Please, <laughs> semantic away. Um, part of what you said early on was that <clears throat> uh, understanding leads to uh, being a lover of what is, which to me is sort of acceptance. Okay. One way of saying acceptance. Okay. Um, and I feel like there are a lot of challenges or issues in my life at least that I feel like I understand, mm -hmm. but I don't accept. And it's like there's some special sauce or ingredient that gets you from understanding to acceptance. And maybe some of that is not being judgmental, which mm -hmm. you mentioned. But I'm curious what other things you would throw in there, sort of that are transform or move you forward from understanding to acceptance. Um. I don't have any simple oh, ABC, but I'll give you my unsimple ABC. Um, well, what here? Here's so let's keep using the investigative quality. So, what keeps you from accepting becomes a really good question to understanding more about acceptance. What's keeping you from accepting? And you could say now, but you don't have to say now. But well, some of it is judgment. Right, okay, so that's good. And so then you might get curious about, oh, why, is, why do I have so much judgment about this? And your judgment might be accurate, but why does I have so much charge with the judgment, right? Because people do things that are not helpful, and we want to know that because we don't just want to say okay you can do whatever you want that's not skillful at times it's very important to know how to say no but the charge is ours yeah definitely right and so yeah and so so then being curious about oh why is there so much charge for me even though, even if i'm right why is there so much charge and being curious about that and that's where both the awareness of body, heart, and mind and the curiosity 
and the, the um, investigative factor are very, very helpful. Right, so it sounds like curiosity, it's like those Russian dolls, you just keep pulling them off. You could, you could use that metaphor, yeah, sure, <laughs> if you would, but, but, but it's, it's, it's just, so part of being, part of the lover is a heartfulness of interest. Oh, what is this dukkha? What is it really? Why is it here? Because there's the possibility of not dukkha happening. Okay, is that helpful? Yeah, it's helpful. I mean, it has to be your own. I do the work. Um, yes, <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's very true. And actually very important. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Because it's one of the things that we all, I don't know about we all, but many of us don't really want that. Oh, it's, it's our work in some sense. Because we live in a funny in my view, capitalist culture, oh, can I just pay for it and you do it and then I'm fine? You know, and, and not that sometimes the help of others is totally great, but also we have to do our work, and that's true. I'm going to go here because she was very loud there before. <laughs> well, I thought Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask about risk. About what? Risk. Like taking a risk. Taking a risk. Right understanding relationship to risk. I feel really clear that it's been a challenge for me, um, like decision making, because I've been really attached to like my right decision, both creatively. Yeah, pull it down right, a little. Right, right, right. There, there you go. That's good. No, no, that's too much now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> we're, we're trying to get it right. So, you know, like, my right decision is going to create this outcome. Right. Okay, so I've gotten, like, some release around that, okay? Some what? Some release around that. Like, you know, I don't feel it's like I'm suffering as much around... Cause I, well, because I got some right understanding around that. Like, all this fear about making the wrong decision was always causing me a ton of suffering. Uh -huh. And then I realized I was putting myself way too in charge for the outcome of everything. Right. But like the next level is risk. Like, okay, what about all the stuff where you're uncertain? Uh -huh. like you should jump. Uh -huh. You know, like how do you have right understanding around blank? You know what I mean? Right. Got it. Okay. Got the, it. What's not known? Yeah. Great question. I have no idea. <laughs> and we all take risks. Well, I was thinking, like, couldn't maybe one inquiry could be like, sort of sitting with A or B that could come from the risk, you know, or like, what am I afraid of? Or yeah, yeah, that, that's all good. But you can't really have right understanding of the thing that's just out there. Right. You well, you but can't. Yeah. <laughs> How do you, by staying here as you go there? And by here, I don't mean staying static. I mean staying very aware and awake each step of the way. And because every step, you're going to learn more. You're going to understand more. Or you're going to understand that you don't understand, which is also part of understanding. And I had some really nice quote about that somewhere. Oh, here, I'll read it to you. Centuries ago, Socrates used to walk through the streets and marketplaces of Athens, teaching his students always, saying to them, you must understand yourself. You must understand yourself. You must understand yourself. One day, a student said, sir, you always say we must understand ourselves, but do you understand yourself? And Socrates said, no, I don't know myself but I understand this don't know. Right. Right. There's like all this talk about knowing what you want, you know? Know what you want, know what you want, and you can get what you want. Yeah. And last week I just had this moment where I was like, I don't know what I want, and that's the problem. Well, but and I was like, okay, now I do nothing. So then, so, so when you don't know what you want, pay attention to the not knowing, not just 
the judging mind that, oh, you don't know what you want, and so now you're a failure, you won't get it. Yeah, yeah right? Panic. Right, right. And panic is different than not knowing. Right. And so that, no, no, it's good. It's good what's happening because you're being aware of the emotion and you want to be aware of the emotion and feel the emotion. You don't want to believe the emotion totally. Right? You want to keep getting here because here is where the answer that you're looking for is. Right? Okay? Thank you. Okay, I, do you have a quick question? No. Okay, we're okay, because it's time for us to go, so. Okay, let's sit for a minute before we leave tonight. Taking a moment to reflect that we have the time, place, opportunity, teachings, and community that we can together start to be curious, interested in uh, investigating what is it to understand? What is it to begin to understand ourselves and to understand the Dharma? to understand reality, to understand Buddhism. And appreciating the blessings that we have this opportunity together. And may the goodness, the blessings be for ourselves, for one another, and for the benefit of all beings. May we all begin to understand together what it is to be a human being and to be human beings together in this small world. May we all practice together learning about being a human being being human beings together. And may we discover the potential of what it is to be a mature community collective of humans on this earth. May we wake up for our benefit and for the benefit of each other, and for the benefit of all beings. May all beings be free. Good to see you all. We'll be back in our regular room next week. I'll see you then. If you have a few minutes to help clean up, we always need a little bit of help. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com dot org slash donate.